Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Kyle Larson. Kyle is an author of novels for young adults, including his latest novel, The Pirates of Mercury, and also a writer for Star Wars Newsnet and a contributor for Movie Newsnet. Kyle, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Oh, not much. Thanks for having me. Uh, Happy to be here. I love the podcast, so um, it's great to sit down with you guys this morning. And you as well. Thanks for, uh, I know it's a little earlier out there for you as opposed to us um, with you being on the West Coast. Tell us where you are specifically. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. And, uh, yeah, and thankfully I've got some coffee and, and been up for a while, so I'm ready to go. I noticed coffee, from, from what I researched about you, I noticed that you coffee is something that you've kind of mentioned in a couple of places. Is coffee a key part of your identity as a writer? Like, How does it play into that? Well, my my regular job uh, when I'm not writing is I've been a roaster for Stumptown Coffee Roasters for about ten years, um, so that's a huge part of my life. Just because it's it's uh, uh, my my trade, I guess, other than writing, and it's it's what pays the bills. And yes, coincidentally, that is quite uh, it's good fuel for writing. We've got a lot of like big coffee companies uh, like uh, obviously starbucks i think was started in seattle like do you know the history behind it yeah i mean it's it's pretty crazy um you could kind of attribute the history of coffee to at least in the u.s and and specialty coffee it kind of goes back to alfred pete who started pete's in in oakland and or yeah in oakland and uh in the 70s i believe and from there, that's kind of like he trained a lot of the original roasters for Starbucks. And then they kind of diverged uh, in the 80s. And Starbucks, you know, as we know it today, really took off in the late 80s. And that gave way to a lot of smaller companies like Stumptown, who I uh, have, have worked for and in the Pacific Northwest, to kind of come up. And, you know, what Pete's and what Starbucks did is they really paved the way for coffee consumers to appreciate uh, premium coffee and, and especially roasted coffee. So that's a little bit of the history, but it definitely, uh, um, you know, a lot of people like to knock Pete's or knock Starbucks, but if they hadn't, you know, come around and did what they did in the, the early days, we probably wouldn't have specialty coffee as we know it today. And so. as far as Stumptown, I know we're based in New York City. I know Stumptown is pretty prevalent here um, mm-hmm. for coffee enthusiasts. What separates them, would you say? Well, I would say first and foremost, our, our buying practices, uh, the founder of Stumptown, he, you know, was, was doing a lot of traveling and trying to work with, uh, smaller farmers that were producing higher quality coffee and bring that kind of showcase that. And that was definitely one of the earlier things that Stumptown, uh, got the jump on. There's very few coffee companies that can say they were doing that at the same time that, that Stumptown was. So I'd say first off buying from producers that are doing really good work. And then, um, not to pat myself on the back too hard, but the way that we roast it as well. Um, our, our roasting is definitely, roasting style was definitely different um, before. It still kind of is, is set apart from, from other companies. Not to say that we're like better or worse, but I think we have a really good style of how we showcase the coffee um, in terms of bringing out all the different, the different attributes of it. Um, and then also education and preparation too. In our cafes, we take a lot of time to train our baristas 
and um, the people that are going to be serving up the coffee so that they can not only showcase it, but if somebody has questions about where it was grown or produced, they can answer that and, and, and tell them, tell them the story. So, so a lot of writers um, drink coffee, as you said, it, it helps you kind of get the fuel. Um, I think you're uh-huh. smart, right? Cause not only are you a writer and, and drink coffee, but you also work for a coffee company, which I assume has its perks. Um, but yes. <laughs> so, and, and would you say, um, from a career perspective is writing, like, what would you say is your main, um, gig, so to speak is the, has the, the, the coffee job been kind of your, your main job and writing has kind of been, um, like a side thing, or would you say they're both like equally one part, one part? Uh, I would say, well, you know, right now, just from necessity, the coffee part definitely overtakes the time I'm allowed to spend on the writing part. But, you know, a lot of times, especially lately, because I'm trying to get this second book um, out by Christmas um, or by the holiday season. And the like a lot of times I'll work a full roasting shift, you know, which can be about eight hours. And then, you know, I'll be done with that, come home uh, and get started on writing, you know, right away and devote about, you know, four hours of that every day um, to, to trying to get that out. So the passion is one-to-one, but right now the, the, uh, the coffee roasting kind of overshadows that just because of how busy we are this time of year and um, the fact that it pays the bills. And as far as your writing, would you mind just breaking it down? I, I briefly listed what you do in, in your bio, but would you mind just clarifying? So you write or you've written a series of young adult novels. I believe you released Pirates of Mercury. You're also a writer for a couple of sites. Do you mind just kind of describing how you uh, would describe yourself and, and how you identify as a writer? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I started this series. It's The series itself is called The Kelvin Voyages, and it's a young adult series. Um, before that, I had written another series called Stars of the New Gods. Um, that series is kind of on hold. Just uh, It's three books so far. Um, but the Kelvin Voyages is something I'm primarily focused on because I had so much fun writing the first book, and I'm planning on it being nine books total. Um, so that's, you know, first and foremost, I'm trying to focus a lot on on finishing those those young adult novels. Um, but I've also been working with Star Wars Newsnet now, I think, since 2014. And I cover a lot of, do a lot of editorials and also reviews of uh, comic books that are coming out through Marvel and also different books that are being published through uh, Lucasfilm Publishing and uh, Del Rey that are kind of building this new Star Wars canon uh, since Disney took over in 2015 or two, excuse me, 2013. I would love to cover both, uh, but particularly yeah. for this episode, we'd love to focus on your writing. Um, we haven't done an episode yet where we talk to an author of novels for young adults. Um, would you be uh, open to kind of schooling us a little bit on that process and uh, you know why you kind of went into that? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd consider myself the authority, but I can. De- I'd love to talk about my my process and kind sure. of the short journey I've taken into that world. Um, okay, because it's been pretty fun. Great. So you know, we can start at the beginning. How did you get the idea to start writing? Um, you know, a young adult novel and why a young adult novel as opposed to just a novel in general and and what separates the two? Well, so I I have a son from a previous relationship and he doesn't live in Portland with me. Um, He lives in a town in Southern Oregon, about three hours from Portland. And, you know, we don't get to see each other as much as we like, but he's, he's 10 years old and he just started getting into reading uh, 
with an insane amount in the last year or so. And he's really into reading. And that's been something that's made me really happy. And he, uh, he found out that I wrote books and I've never written a book up until the Pirates of Mercury that he could read. You know, the, the previous series I was working on was definitely more adult and uh, stuff that I wouldn't, you know, be comfortable with him reading until he was probably a teenager. So that was the catalyst for Pirates of Mercury. He actually kind of helped me come up with the story a little bit. And um, I originally was just going to kind of publish it for him and just have it be his thing. But as I was pumping out more chapters, I, I would send it to him kind of as a serial. I would, you know, write a chapter, print it off, put it in an envelope and then send it off to him. And he'd get it that weekend, you know, that he could read. Um, but then I decided like, hey, you know, this could be really cool. And, and he was enjoying it. And it could be a, a good way to kind of reach more readers. And that was the the catalyst. So I decided to take it a little more seriously and actually uh, structure a series and and have a definitive arc for the, the characters in the, the first novel. So uh, at first I was kind of writing it by, you know, flying by the seat of my pants and coming up with a different twist every week, you know, to keep him keep him excited but then i thought like okay i could could actually make something out of this so that was the the catalyst i'd say and at what point did you for this first novel or the first novel what point did you say okay cool i'm going to take what we've been working on and this is what it's going to be and at, at what point did you decide the arc for that story or did you have that all along like where did the i guess the first novel arc come from um i would say probably you know, five chapters in, because I was still working on, on another novel while I was writing this. And one night I kind of, one of the things I do just to kind of uh, get ideas is I'll brainstorm with a notebook. And I started brainstorming, you know, a couple ideas for the next few chapters of this book, the, the, the Pirates of Mercury. And it just kind of went crazy. And I started thinking about all these different ideas and, and different things I could do with the characters. And I realized it, that wasn't going to fit into one book. And then I just did a hypothetical of, hey, what would the next uh, four books look like or the next three books look, look like if I were to go crazy? And I, I really liked the stories that I was coming up with. And that was when I decided, like, OK, I could actually take the time and flush this out. And, you know, a lot of people could w would would maybe enjoy reading a story like this. And I felt it was unique enough to warrant uh, trying at least, you know, maybe no one will like it. Maybe a few people will like it. Maybe a lot of people will like it, but I, I felt like it was at least worth uh, my time to, to uh, build it into a series, at least for my own satisfaction that I could put it out there and be like, Hey, this is something I did. And you said you worked on like a few, you know, chapters or ideas for chapters prior to coming up with like the final arc. Would you say, would you recommend that as a, as a style? Have you changed that style? I know a lot of people, tend to kind of work backwards or they'll start with, okay, I want it to go from point A to point B and then they'll kind of fill in the details on each chapter and, and fill in with more and more detail. Is that something you do at all? Or are you, are you keen on kind of letting it be more organic and, and brainstorming and kind of figuring it out as it goes along? I'm, I would say I'm kind of the best of both worlds. I've heard writers, uh, you know, specifically like George R.R. Martin describe that there's two types of writers. There's architects and there's gardeners. And I'd like to think I'm kind of fall somewhere in the middle there as, you know, I, I think outlining is a, a very helpful tool for me, but I also like to keep my mind open to like, I don't need to stick to this. 
this is more of a, a guideline of where I want the chapter to go. But if as I'm writing, something pops into my head and I'm like, ooh, that could be that could be interesting, then I'll I'll kind of go with that sometimes if I have a really good good feeling about it. So I you know, I do like going in to when I sit down at the computer, that's kind of like um I think of all the, you know, any sort of notes I took up to that point or any ideas I was coming up with as as like uh, practice or rehearsal. And then when I'm actually sitting down at the computer to do composition, that's like the, that's the big dance or that's the, you know, the game that I'm, I'm showing up at to, to play just so I can make the most of my time. And where do your ideas come from? Are they, is it a combination of inspiration from other books that maybe inspired you? Are you just kind of just sitting with your own thoughts and kind of coming up with them on your own completely? Like, I'd say it's a bit of both sometimes. Um, yeah, it's, I I definitely, it could be books or films or, uh, you know, television shows that I've, that I've watched that maybe they'll, there'll be some sort of plot or some sort of character that I'll, I'll think about. And that will be like, wow, you know, that could be an interesting story, but obviously I can't, you know, take, somebody else's character and start writing that. And maybe I could build a character that is, I, I wouldn't say necessarily similar, but maybe I could build my own character that could go through a, a story that I'd want another character to go through. Um, again, not necessarily mimicking or copying somebody's character. Um, but there's, there's definitely a good deal of that. And then there are sometimes too, where I do a lot of trail running and I do a, a lot of cycling too. So there's, there's definitely time for me to get inside my head. And I've come up with some great ideas. Sometimes I'll stop like on the side of the trail and take out my phone, take out the notes, open up the notes app on my phone and write down just, you know, a paragraph of something that I have. And I've, I've actually written a, quite a few short stories based on that too, on, on that kind of inspiration. And what makes, uh, when writing specifically a young adult novel, what makes that process different than you said you've written other novels before? Is it the voice? Is it the the tone? Is it not maybe saying certain specific things that might not be appropriate. What makes it different? Well, there's definitely that because I my the the previous series I was working on a lot of the characters have I'd say a potty mouth and <laughs> and there there's definitely more um, uh, not not violence for violence sake but violence in terms of of what happens in the story they're very very dark and um, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't feel comfortable with with my son reading them and I wouldn't recommend them to younger kids so there's the content is definitely a a huge thing that i'm i'm aware of and then also vocabulary i try to make sure i'm not using too many fancy words and try to be very straightforward uh you know instead of writing a passage like he wandered through a macabre hall in the dark you know I, i don't try to get too fancy with that i try to again respecting you know, just because somebody's a young adult doesn't mean that they have to have a limited vocabulary, but try to make everything from descriptions to dialogue very straightforward. Um, and once in a while, I'll throw in a big word or two. So maybe a kid will be like, if somebody's reading like, oh, I don't know what that means. And maybe that'll get them to get out a dictionary and look it up or something like that. Um, and then cadence, I, I find that um, the way a chapter is paced, there's a lot of chapters that'll encompass, you know, two or three different characters. And I try to devote, if I know that those characters in different, that are, excuse me, two or three different characters that are in different settings, whose stories are happening, you know, parallel to one another, 
I'll try to make sure that I don't go over a thousand words per character in a chapter. You know, let's say a chapter is like uh, three to five thousand words. I'll try to stick to, you know, around a thousand to maybe fifteen hundred words per character so that the chapters aren't just these long, long things. I I remember when I was a young reader that every time I'd finish a chapter, it felt like an accomplishment, you know, like, right. like, all oh, right, I'm, I'm making my way through this book. So I try to, to reward, you know, in my head, I'm rewarding the readers, uh, that like, okay, you're actually, you know, you're going to make your way through this book. Um, and, and, you know, there's going to be something that happens at the end of the chapter that'll make you want to flip the page and go to the next chapter. Can you quickly um, describe for for those listeners who haven't read uh, the Pirates of Mercury? Just give us a little bit of a, of a synopsis. I realize a lot of times when we talk to writers about their works, we get so much into the details of of writing it that we never actually talk about you know what what the books are about. So, yeah. <laughs> and then I would also love uh, if you could kind of walk us through that and explain like the difference between the novel itself and the arc of the of the greater series that you plan to make or I don't know how much you can tell us about that or not. But. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So, um, you know, just to preface this, I'm awful with synopsis. That's like the, <laughs> that's the part that I hate the most right. is when it's actually going to go up on Amazon oh, or, yeah. um, you know. But I, I'm happy. I'm very happy to talk about it. Just, uh, just a forewarning that it might be a little choppy. Oh, yeah, sure. And uh, <laughs> no, no judgment, but, judgment-free zone. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, here too. Um, <laughs> so it's it's based around um, the idea that you know in the very distant future, and I'm not I, I have a timeline for it, but I'm not sure how far in the future. Uh, but that you know, there's kind of been humanity has gone out into the the solar system and colonized the solar system, which is nothing new. But my my place is that we're actually beyond like, you know, the dystopian part of it or any sort of war or conflict um, that there there was around that. That's that's ancient. And every planet now has established a, a kingdom. So the solar system is actually called the nine kingdoms of the sun. And, you know, there's all this kind of decorum and, and these kind of things. They all maintain and, you know, a fragile alliance, I guess. And and, and the idea is that they're working for the common good. But when you come into the nine kingdoms of the sun where the pirates of Mercury is relative, it's in a really strange place because 10 years before the book happened, um, the princess of Earth, her name is, is Arin, uh, she went missing and it's, she, her ship just vanished and no one knows what happened to her. And the king of Earth is kind of shut hit the borders of Earth and shut Earth off from the rest of the nine kingdoms. His son, uh, Kelvin, who the, is the protagonist of this series and who the series is named after, Kelvin doesn't want that. He's, he's getting to an age where he's about to, to take on the throne and, and, and become you know the king of Earth, I guess. And he doesn't want to have Earth shut off from that anymore. So he's kind of found a loophole in all this royal law and all this decorum between the other kingdoms where he can... He can use this thing called the traditions of service, and that's where a monarch coming into power goes to every single kingdom, and they have to perform some sort of public service for that kingdom, and that's a way to earn the respect and earn the alliance and trust of each planet. So he's using that loophole to leave Earth and to go to the first planet is Mercury and and kind of form this alliance. And 
and and earn the trust of of the queen of that planet. And that's ultimately where the series is going to go is every single each novel is going to uh, cover a different planet that Kelvin has traveled to. And he's trying to reestablish Earth and reestablish the nine kingdoms to what he would want. So as as that's happening, though, there's also a and this is where it gets um, might get kind of complicated for kids, but I'm trying to make it as simple as uh, as I can. There's also this social movement going on where people don't want kingdoms anymore. And they're trying to, uh, you know, I guess, reform the government or reform the idea of the nine kingdoms. But unfortunately, they're being led by some people that are are using them ultimately to just gain power. Um, and so that's they're an organization called uh, the Wanderers. And so that's kind of where there's this push and pull between, you know, Kelvin trying to recognize that, yes, it is a noble cause and he's not closed off to, you know, reforming or people having a different form of government, but that also these people are not the ones that should be doing that. They're, they're causing a lot of uh, deception and they're causing a lot of problems for Kelvin. And that's where kind of the conflict comes in. And then also how his, you know, he's looking for his, the first book really involves him looking for his sister. He's, He's going to Mercury to try and do these things, but he knows his sister is somewhere out there and he wants to find her. And, you know, I, I don't know if I should give too much away, but he he does find her and it's it's not really what he expects. And that's kind of the, the setup for the end of the, the first book and then also where the series is going to go from there. And so, uh, you set this uh this novel and, and the whole series in the future of our own solar system. Is there a benefit to setting um, a novel in our own world as opposed to, you know, like Star Wars setting in a galaxy far, far away? You know, where one, I guess you'd have to kind of create everything as opposed to this, which I assume you're using kind of um, pieces from our own kind of culture and our own history. Is that true? And is there a benefit to it? Yeah, I, 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 I found it's it's beneficial because it, it kind of limits the scope uh, of different, um, I, I guess, characters, um, the the kingdoms or societies and cultures that can be referenced. You know, I plan on making it a very multicultural kingdom that we're presenting by the end of the you know the nine book series. Uh, but it, it it doesn't you know I don't have to worry about cataloging like alien species or or you know several thousand different worlds you know i i just have these these nine planets their moons and kind of the the world building you know the limited world building that i'm doing with each one at this point um so it, it's in a good way like it keeps it confined whereas when you get into kind of the star wars canon and how vast that is uh, i i would have a hard time keeping track of that at this point and and i feel like you know since i'm kind of gearing this towards kids i, I want them you know, not necessarily to worry about like all the, you know, at this point, at least all the different, like the dozens of, of different societies and, and that kind of thing. I just want them to focus on each one that's presented in the book. And then the book that comes after that will reference those two. And by the time the series is over, they're going to have all of that um, in, you know, the collection of books. But as it, as it kind of moves along, it keeps it keeps their thinking confined and on the story and on the, you know, on the cultures, on the societies and on the people that I'm presenting in that book or in that story. 
tell us about the publishing side of things. Did you self-publish this? Did you find a publisher? Like, what was your process, and was there a benefit to that? Or, um, yeah, I so I self-published using the Amazon KDP program, which is uh, it, at first it was strictly eBooks, but now you can actually publish right. tangible novels. And that's what I've been uh, primarily using that for. Um, I'm hoping to put together and and start shopping this to publishers. But as I mentioned, I'm pretty busy with my my regular my nine to five job, which you know I'm very grateful for. But it just hasn't allowed a lot of time for me to sit down uh, and and put together a proper manuscript and actually look at publishers that I would potentially want to work with. Or, or would maybe be inter- even interested in something. I, I guess I'm presuming a lot by saying I would want to work with them because at this point, I think any publisher <laughs> would be great to work with. Um, so it, it, right now, I'm currently just putting it out on my own just because it's easier for me to do that. And, and Amazon, you know, people can say what they will about them, but I think this program is really, really cool. And it's it's, you know, given me a good sense of accomplishment that like, yeah, I'm not going to make it on the New York Times bestseller list, but if a friend of mine or or someone is interested in in reading what I do, I can be like, hey, here's you know here's a link to my book. Um, I keep them reasonably priced so that you know you don't have to pay an arm and a leg. I think each of my eBooks is two ninety nine, and and the published books are around seven dollars or something like that. And you know, because I'm primarily doing this just for the creative aspect of it and and that satisfaction, but I'm I'm hoping to someday uh, shop this series to a publisher or or another uh, another series too. That's the, the, also the beauty of it is with Amazon, I'm not you know bound to them. I could still do that. And we haven't talked um, at all about self publishing yet, which I would love to. Um, can you tell us is there any built in discoverability features within that, or is a is a writer who uses um, that feature? left to kind of self-promote it and market it themselves? Like, wh- where do you find yourself once you've published the book? Do you find that there's a lot of discoverability organically, or do you find that you f- will have to kind of push it to friends and kind of, I don't know, get a Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there there is not a lot of discoverability. They have a couple promotions kind of built into their platform that you can run. You can, you can run a sale promo, which will, you know, you can mark it down to, I think, 99 cents is the lowest they'll let you go. But you can mark it down to ninety nine cents, and you can also for the ebooks you can do a free book promotion, which I've that's generated the most. I, I guess you can't call them sales, but generated the most readership for me is when I when I push a book that's free. I think there's a number of sites around the internet that will that will be like, hey, here's the Amazon books that are free this week oh, or something okay. like that. And then I, I've noticed like you know I've had as many as like a hundred people in one day. Wow. snatch up a book that's great. Um, just from the free and you know because everybody likes something that's free and that that's i you know i honestly don't mind that at all i think that's great my whole i i feel like if i can get a book into somebody's hands and they they can read it at least i'll know whether they like it or not if they can you know they can go back or things like that um but yes the the self-promotion thing is huge i i spend time on twitter doing that i'm lucky to have you know, I, I don't have a ton of followers, but I, I feel like the followers I do have always been super positive in terms of being like, good, good deal, good work. And, and we'll share and retweet uh, Star Wars Newsnet, who I write for. They are always super rad about retweeting or promoting 
a book when it comes out. I've, you know, been very grateful for that. Um, so, but it is a lot of kind of the onus is on, on me to promote that. And where did you find the artwork for the book? I know that's obviously a key piece. You finish the book, you want to publish it, you need a nice piece of art. Where did you go for that? Cause the art's very nice. Where did you find it? Oh yeah. Um, so I went through a website called Fiverr, I think F I V E R R. And there's a lot of freelance artists on there that will, um, that will do book designs and the re- the rates are very reasonable. And you, you basically just, you go through different freelancers on there, find somebody who might look good. And I, I found, I can't remember her name. It's, I, sh- I should know it right off the top of my head. I'm actually trying to find it right now, but, <laughs> but I've, I've, uh, I just contacted her and, you know, they have, they tell you how much it costs, what exactly you'll get. And they give you a deadline and, and I've only done two covers, uh, through, through this artist, but each time, you know, within 24 hours of, of contracting them, it's, you know, I get a, a, a picture file sent to me in my inbox and there it is. So that was how I did it. That book's been out for how long now? A few months? Yeah. The second book that's, that is, uh, coming out is, isn't going to be out until December. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And yeah. Do you, is and there a specific... I just got the cover done early to, to kind of uh, inspire myself. <laughs> Great. And then is there a specific um, reasoning for the rollout in December? Do you have all of those nine kind of planned out timeline wise? How do you like think through your strategy for the future? Well, December, because of the holidays and, and Amazon is so good about pushing their, their Kindles. Um, I try to, if I, if I have a book that's recent or, um, or is going to come out, I try to at least market it around December because, you know, I know as soon as you get open up, a, unbox a new electronic device, you want to use it. And I figure a lot of people on, you know, December 25th or December 26th, they're going to be tearing into their Kindles and want to put content on there. And I, f- I feel like if I can promote this series with two books as like, here's, um, I'm, I'm going to plan, I'm planning on making the first book free around that time. And then also like, Hey, if you like the first book, then here's the second book that you can buy for $3. Um, and so that, that was my main reasoning around there as I could, I feel like I, it would be a bonus to audiences or potential readers to be like, Oh, here, here's the first two books. I can just knock them out one, two like that. Um, and then also I, to kind of go back to my nine to five job, uh, Stumptown Coffee started a, in the last year or so started a grant project uh, for employees. And when I wrote up my proposal for this uh, this last round of, of grant funding that they did, I included a not necessarily a hard deadline, but the goal of a December 2018 uh, publication for the second book. And since they 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 did award me that grant, I I want to make good on they're they're not going to hold my feet to the fire for that, but I. I want to make good on, on what I propose since they've come through and, and given me that grant. That's great. So, and then looking at this, you've got, you know, a series of novels here. Obviously we went to um, New York comic con and saw a panel about kind of how to turn your IP, your intellectual property into a movie franchise or into a bigger kind of like a TV franchise. Have, is that something you're interested in? And have you thought about a, a plan for trying to do that? Is something, is that something that, you aspire to do or um yeah i i mean i it's definitely not an aspiration for me i mean it would it would be fantastic if it happened i love 
film and I love uh, television just as much as I do reading a great book. Um, but it, it's, it's not something I'd say I'm planning on or anything, but if, if anyone was ever interested, I would definitely have the conversation and, and would, would be open to that. Um, so, but that, that's, that's really interesting. That sounds like a really, a, a cool panel. I would love to hear things about that. Cause that's, that's something that's always been kind of nebulous to me. And, and also I, I feel for, uh, something I've kind of been skeptical about just because you hear sometimes horror stories about people who've sold the rights to their work and then it either just gets shelved or gets turned into something that's completely different from, uh, from what they were intending it to be. But I, I feel like as television and, and filmmaking is kind of evolving in the public perception, there's, there's a, a really, there's a whole new appreciation for creators right now. And I feel like creators have more, you know, I don't know, I, I'm not working with any huge publishing or, or production series, but I feel like creators are giving, being given a lot more license to, to kind of do what they want and take more risks. So it would be something I'd right now at this point in time, I'd be less wary about talking to uh, a studio or, 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 you know, a television studio that would, would potentially approach, not that I'm planning on that happening, but if it ever did, I would keep an open mind and 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 would love to to have the conversation at least. And then I guess my last question regarding when you work on your novels, how do you find the time? Obviously, time is a uh, it's it's not always the easiest thing to get a hold of. It's very fleeting. <laughs> we all have yes. our our jobs, and we we want to write on the side. And I know everybody struggles with kind of balancing your time, project managing yourself. How do you? kind of uh, hone it in and find that time um well there there's specific nights of the week where i have it i mean i really have it planned out like i'll um a couple nights a week i'll make sure to leave my house so that i don't you know get caught up in the like turning on netflix or you know sitting down to read or something like that and then all of a sudden like the hours that i had allocated for that um will just be gone but it's a matter of, yeah, I, I, you know, right away when I get home, I'll throw my computer in my bag and get back in my car and drive to, there's, there's a, a tea house in Portland that I like to go to, to write. Um, cause it's pretty sparsely populated with people and it, it, it allows me to kind of get outside of my, of my home and, and anything that I, I could, that could distract me. Um, and then there's other times too, when I do, uh, the writing at home, I have to, I use an app called uh, Scrivener, which is, I don't know if any other writers have talked about it on your podcast. It's, it's an amazing uh, program so. for writers. Uh, it's, it's called Scrivener, but yeah, you, you guys should check it out. It's, it's fantastic. It allows you to uh, kind of keep everything organized from chapters to notes to character sketches and setting sketches. But the, the one of the biggest features to me is a feature called composition mode, where it'll basically make your screen look like a, a, a like a sheet of paper and a typewriter so that there's nothing else on there. There's no notifications or emails, oh, wow. things like that. So, you know, I turn, I turn all my notifications off anyway, but I feel like sometimes if, if it's a heavy day with news or if I know that I've engaged in a conversation with somebody on Twitter or social media, I'll have a tendency to click open my Safari browser uh, when I'm in the middle of a chapter and no, no good ever comes of that when that happens. Right. So, um, so I found that keeping my screen as focused as possible with the composition mode where all I'm looking at is my writing. 
Um, and the only time that I'll, I'll get out of that is if I need to use the, the dictionary application or need to scroll back through a different chapter. Um, so that's keeping my limited time as you know, strictly scheduled as I can and also making sure that while I'm in those, you know, two to four hours that I'm going to be writing, that that is all I'm doing, that I'm not, you know, I, I keep my phone in the other room. I take my, I have an Apple watch. I actually take that off too. Um, and I might put some music on, but I, I make sure that everything is, is me looking at that screen. That's great advice. Um, and would you say your process for writing for Star Wars Newsnet is similar? Is it completely different, you know, side of the brain? How would you compare those two? Yeah, it's similar in that, um, you know, I try to be very focused on on what I'm writing at the time. Um, the only difference is I do, I do actually write through the, so we use the, um, I believe it's WordPress that we use to publish Star Wars Newsnet on. So I'll, I'll use that, um, the drafts, uh, window or the UI uh, to write the article. And I'll also have a couple tabs open of, I use uh, Wikipedia a lot to reference to make sure I'm not saying anything stupid about a ship or an alien species or, you know, et cetera, in Star Wars, because it's so vast. And um, I also, since I primarily write about comic books, I'll have, I use the Comixology app on my iPad, and I'll have that open too, so that I can you know, look at the comic book that I'm writing about and also reference things that have happened in previous issues of the the series that may affect the issue that I'm currently reviewing. So it's, I have to be pretty vigilant about not getting distracted when I'm scrolling through Wikipedia or scrolling through um, the, the, the previous series. But I would say the level of focus is still the same. It's just, there's a lot more moving pieces I have to be aware of when I'm writing for uh, Star Wars Newsnet. And can you explain to us, for those who don't know, what separates Star Wars Newsnet from some of the other Star Wars sites? Because I know these days, especially, there are a lot, there are way more than there once were. But I think, to my the best of my knowledge, Star Wars Newsnet has been around for quite some time, right? Yeah, we've been around since I, you know, I wasn't with the site at the very beginning, but I, I discovered it around 2013 and 2014, primarily in leading up to The Force Awakens, because no one knew what was coming and we we were able to write a lot of kind of um, speculation pieces, not necessarily, and I mean speculation too in the best sense of the word, not in a clickbait word, not like Luke's going to have twenty lightsabers. You know, we don't we don't write stuff like that. It's it's more of here's a practical piece of speculation that could have could have happened in The Force Awakens. It was a lot of that at first, um, just kind of hints that we had gotten from the older trilogy and maybe pieces of news that were breaking. Um, I would say right now what differentiates us uh, from other sites, and and this is not to be critical of any other site. You know, people do what they do. There's there's tons of, of Star Wars readers out there for everyone to, to be successful. But I, I feel like we're, we're very focused on, you know, if there's news that breaks, like, let's say, you know, something comes up about the TV show that, that John Favreau is doing, like The Mandalorian. If there's a piece of news that breaks, we'll try to flesh out what that could mean and, and maybe how it ties into the greater canon. A lot of our articles are very dense. You know, we don't, we don't try to just go for, like, fast, light pieces. We try to really give the reader something to sink their teeth into and to also, um, because we have a forum, to facilitate a you know, healthy discussion about 
what this could mean for the franchise or what this can mean for the bigger canon. And just let people who who want to think about the possibilities of this franchise let their minds kind of kind of go wild. And and we've we've I feel like our readers that's what kind of brings them back and keeps them coming back is that you know we we provide you know just uh, a lot of uh, a lot of depth for them to to get into uh, what news could mean or what uh, what developments in the franchise can mean. And does the current uh, climate in Star Wars affect uh, the way you write about it? I mean, we, as you know, talked to Jason Ward uh, from Making Star Wars um, about the climate. We ended up getting into a pretty deep, kind of heavy, long discussion about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, quickly, for, from your perspective, would you share the sentiment that, you know, things have clearly changed? And does that affect you when you kind of go into write every day? Or, or does that not really even kind of uh, come into your, to your mind when you're writing? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it absolutely does. I mean, there's no way to turn a blind eye to to what's going on in the in the fandom right now with a lot of the you know the trolls and and just the there's there's a lot of negativity right now. Unfortunately, um, I don't think that that necessarily uh, defines Star Wars fandom right now, but it is there um, along with the you know the just vile racism that's being that's been thrown at at um, actors actresses. And, and creators that are coming into the world. Um, so it would be, uh, you know, I think very short-sighted if you, if you were saying like, Oh, that, you know, I don't think about that at all. I'm, I'm definitely aware of the way that I word things. And, but what I'm, I'm trying to do is I try to keep it as positive. And I think I, I can't, I shouldn't speak for everybody at star Wars news net, but I, I feel like we all are like, okay, we're, we're just going to try and stay above the belt with this kind of stuff and present things as straightforward as we can and not try to gaslight, uh, conversations and things like that. Um, you know, because at the, at, for me personally, when I see somebody post something about like that is racist or, you know, uh, or just directs pure hate, you know, whether that's racism or whether that's trolling Ryan Johnson or things like that, my immediate reaction to these people is like, you know, flip them off and, and be like, you know, screw you guys. You have no place here. And that, you know, that's, that's how I feel. But I don't ever go into articles being like, Hey, I'm really going to stick it to these racist trolls with this piece of writing. I more or less, I write what I want to write. I write about, you know, representation in the comic books and in, in Star Wars in general. And, and when I write about things like that, I'm writing about them because I, I care and I'm passionate about that. And if, you know, some trolls are going to come around and, and light up our comments section, I'll just delete that. Like, we'll delete it and we'll ban the people that are doing that. And, and you know, we, we have a pretty zero tolerance policy as far as that goes. But I wouldn't say that we censor any content. Um, you know, we... We like to make sure before we uh, write about touchier subjects like like that. I I don't know if touchy is an appropriate word, but but more sensitive subjects like that that we have all the facts before we we come out because we we don't want to again like start a huge fight with about we're not about getting in fights with trolls online. Um, we won't back down from that, but we don't want to instigate that. But we want to make sure that you know we're writing to people who who maybe they don't know anything about the the racist and, and troll stuff that's going on online. And, and maybe they'll read an article where we do talk about representation or we talk about um, different creators that are coming into Star Wars. And we want to give them uh, just as 
much straightforward information as we can. Um, and so they can read it and be like, oh, that, that's really cool. Awesome. Slightly more positive note. Um, there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon for Star Wars, right? We've got The Man- Mandalorian by uh, John Favreau coming out. We've got Episode Nine coming out. Uh, would you agree that you know the future is bright for Star Wars? Oh, absolutely. And that's, again, why I, I try to make a point of saying that the stuff that's happening right now, that does not define Star Wars, and it never will. Um, this is, unfortunately, you know, these these people are the minority, and they they have a huge microphone. But I, I think that the stuff we have to look forward to in Star Wars in terms of just like what you mentioned with, with what Favreau is doing with Mandalorian and Episode Nine and this new show, The Resistance, that's, you know, definitely aimed towards kids. But it's a lot of fun, you know, for, for me as a Star Wars fan to watch it. Um, I think that there's a lot of good to come. And I, I think that I really do think that the community, you know, however it is divided right now, however people see that it is kind of fractured, I really do think people are going to come come together and and that there's a lot more good to look forward to in star wars than there is to be skeptical of for sure no that's great um you know writing your own novels writing for star wars newsnet is there one thing you know we always ask this looking at your process and, and and everything and the challenges is there one thing you would say to aspiring writers um kind of as a word of wisdom so to speak yeah, um, you know the best thing that was said to me, uh, well, not said to me, but that I read was from uh, you know take Stephen King for what you will, uh, but he did write a fantastic book uh, about the process of writing called On Writing, and that is that writing. And I hope I don't butcher this quote too much, but writing is not a support system for life; it is the other way around. And that is something that I think people sometimes take to an extreme that like, I need to be this writer and I need to hole up in a room for eight hours a day and write 10,000 words a day and that kind of thing. And it's like, no, that's, you're, you're not going to, you're trying to write about something that's relatable to people and you're trying to make something accessible to people and bring them some joy, joy. And you can't do that if you're just like toiling away at a keyboard nonstop and you're missing out on your life, missing out on human interaction. So I guess what I would say, and and something that's been huge for me, is making sure that there's a balance there. Making sure that, and I know that that sounds super cliched to say, but but make sure that you are living your life and that you're you're not putting this this thing that you do that you're passionate about. Don't put it before other people in your life, and don't don't put it before life experiences that you could have. You know, I remember like scheduling a vacation that I was going to take, and I got kind of nervous because I'm like, oh no, I'm not when am I going to be able to write or, you know, am I going to have time to write when I'm back at the hotel or things like that? And then, you know, it just kind of dawned on me, like, th- th- that's not what this is about, you know, <laughs> like you got to get out there and you got to live. And then those experiences will support your writing and those life experiences and the joy that you find in your everyday life and getting outside and into the world, that's, what's going to make you a better writer. And that's, what's going to make your writing, uh, become easier is because you have that that positive kind of mental stability i guess that you that you are getting out into the world and you're not just holed up in in some tiny room writing so oh that's great are you uh ready for something we like to call a series of seemingly random questions absolutely all right i I love random questions (laughs) (laughs) they're they're never as random as it sounds we just like to put that really exciting kind of 
you know, uh, yeah. set up there and then it's, you know, okay. So first question, I was going to ask you about coffee, but we already talked about coffee. First question, if you as a writer were going to write about star Wars, what story or what part of the star Wars canon or culture or history would you choose to write about? What story would you want to tell that isn't told yet? Well, if you had asked me before solo came out, I would say Obi-Wan Kenobi, hands down. I would love, that's my favorite character in Star Wars all time. And I would love to write a story about uh, kind of whatever purgatory he's in between episode three and A New Hope. Um, that's always something that I'm just like praying that the Star Wars canon will cover. And I, I do believe they're either, I think it's highly likely they'll make a film or at least there'll be a, some sort of novel about it. But because I, I prefaced it with Solo, Emphis Ness is a character that I think uh, her story definitely needs to be told. And I would love to write it as actually like as kind of a creative exercise I've written. I started writing like an Emphis Nest fan fiction just to kind of sometimes cool. if I have a writer's block, that's a good exercise for me to go through. Awesome. I want to read that sometime. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll jump to the next question. If you could have dinner with any writer, living or dead, who would you choose and why? Oh, man, that's a that's a hard one. You've asked that to other people. Oh, yeah. Too. We, we always ask that one. Yeah. Well, <sighs> that, well, this I guess I'm going for kind of a giant here when I say this, but I would say J.D. Salinger uh, okay. would be would be th at the top of my list. Um, and, you know, probably because his writing was something that affected me uh, profoundly when I was a young person. He, his writing was really what made me be like, wow, books can tell engaging stories and get you hooked uh, as they can. And also because he had such an interesting life before he even wrote Catcher in the Rye with his experience in the war. And, um, and then also just whatever caused him to kind of go away and shut himself away. And I know I'm definitely not alone in the desire to find out those answers, but he's somebody whose brain I'd, I'd love to just pick for an hour. Great. Uh, question three, has anyone ever told you that you can't be a writer or shouldn't be a writer? I, yeah, <laughs> not, not quite like slam the door on me that hard, but I've, I, I've had def people definitely say like, yeah, I don't know about this or uh, this, I can't read your books. Like I've had friends actually say that to me, like I've tried and I'm sorry, I just don't like them and, and that kind of thing. And it's definitely discouraging to hear, but I'd say the positive feedback I've had has been way more uh, than the negative, but I have, I definitely have had people be like, I don't know. I don't know about this. This is going to work for you. <laughs> All right. Question four. Um, what is something about your career or your life that nobody knows? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I don't really know about that. I mean, I guess if I, one thing I've always thought about is, especially with the lottery jackpot being what it is right now, it's like what a, like a couple billion dollars yeah, or something like it's that. It's getting up there. And people always think like, what would you do if you won the lottery and to be honest i probably would keep i would want to keep roasting coffee i really like my job i really love what i'm doing and i would still probably like to keep doing that as as a job and also if i did win that maybe it would allow me to do that job less and focus you know more of my time on writing so that's these are things that i i would do be doing no matter what i i, I don't know if that answers your question but that's that's something I guess I don't really talk about vocally is like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of living the dream right now for myself. No, I mean, there's no wrong answer for that. No, I think that was great. So um, I guess well, the last you. thing is, uh, did you want to plug 
the upcoming novel one last time that's coming in December. Uh, and also maybe shout out your Twitter handle as well. Yeah. Um, so the sequel to pirates of mercury, which is, it's, and, and one thing I, I failed to mention about the series is that as the characters grow up, the stories will become more mature. They, they will definitely stay in the realm of young adult, but they'll, you know, pirates of mercury starts out very kid friendly and it gets darker towards the end. Uh, but the sequel is called uh, The Gravity Warriors of Venus, and that's a title that my son came up with. And it is going to be out. I My goal is at the absolute latest, it'll be out December 26th, but I'm hoping to start promoting it heavily um, in uh, coming up next month. I'm almost done with it, and you know I'll probably be fine-tuning it towards the end. But that's um, my Twitter handle is... Uh, Kyle97202. That's the zip code that they auto generated for me. Um, but it's uh, that's where I, I keep people up to date on, on what I'm working on, whether it's for Star Wars Newsnet or for uh, the Kelvin Voyages. So awesome. Well, I think that's our time for today. Um, Sweet. Thanks for, you know, taking, uh, taking the time and talking to us about, um, you know, writing a novel and uh, Star Wars as well. That we're, we're always excited. It's our, it's our excuse to just talk about Star Wars at all times, if possible. <laughs> um, but no, for real, really appreciate your insights uh, and wisdom. And we wish you the best of luck with the book coming out in December. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I love, I love what you guys do. And it, it's uh, a privilege and honor to be here with you. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again, Kyle. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you again next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.